Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, this is Virginia Heffernan, and welcome to This is Critical, where we examine all of our cultural assumptions, like that there's nothing to do for the climate, but buy more Teslas with Dogecoin and glop on more organic mascara. When it's crystal clear that the solution is not to put money into things, but to take money out of them. Bill McKibben's push to get big organizations and funds to divest from fossil fuels is working. Places like Oxford and Cambridge have committed to divest, and so have the University of California, the University of Michigan, Georgetown, Harvard, Reed, and many others. These big divestments are key to putting the oil companies out of business. If you want to get involved, go to gofossilfree.org. Of course, if you're stressed out about end times, you can also try the time-tested activity of nothing. It's extremely cold in much of the country, and there are wars and rumors of war. There's a demagogue trying to make a comeback, offering shallow cuts from Mein Kampf in his rally speeches, and always the guns. Did you know that one big state that might or might not have an X in its name now allows for a permitless carry? Meaning almost any adult who sets foot in Texas can now carry a concealed gun without a permit in nearly all public spaces. And of course, there's still that global pandemic. The hospitals are overtaxed. And so really, one thing to do this winter is not make any big moves, not really do anything at all. Because anxiety and panic, especially apocalyptic panic, is not a meaningful or effective approach to real-world problems, or so I'm told. So pressure your college or pension fund to divest from fossil fuels and maybe just call a friend with Omicron. Having any kind of COVID sucks. And that's it for the day. Today's subject is, in a roundabout way, mental illness. In particular, the episodes about that increasingly visible treatment for dysphoria and depression, ketamine. Like psychedelics, ketamine is both a street drug and a medical treatment right now. And that's what makes it confusing. So I wanted to know just how the weird club trance induced by ketamine has uses apart from just the eternal quest for oblivion on the dance floor with intense bass. My guest today, Bita Mogadam, has done work on ketamine that is mind-expanding and mind-altering in the best non-chemical, entirely sober way. Ideas really are the best trip. Dr. Mogadam is a professor of behavioral neuroscience at Oregon Health and Science University, where she studies the causes of brain illnesses that affect our thoughts and feelings, like schizophrenia and anxiety. She also studies how different substances, neurotransmitters, but also drugs like PCP, amphetamines, and psilocybin, how they can affect or even cause cognitive illnesses. 
She is the author of the book Ketamine, which explores the evolution of ketamine from a combat anesthetic to a club drug to a trendy treatment for depression. Dr. Mogadam, welcome to This is Critical. So your work is just astounding to me because um, I'm going to lead with a very personal detail. I definitely used to do a lot of drugs. I got sober 10 years ago, and I had only heard of the drug you study, ketamine, as Special K. It was a club drug, and I only tried it a couple of times, but the first time I did it, someone sprayed it into my sweater sleeve, and then I breathed it in and then passed out. I don't know what that was about, but I was in college, and that's what I knew of Special K, and then I tried it a couple other times, and it it just was so fast and so crazy um, that I didn't quite understand how you could use it in a sustained way for some kind of high through the night. But anyway, now it's changed completely and is used as a above-board treatment for depression. So tell me from your vantage about the transformation in ketamine from a club drug to a legitimate psychiatric treatment? So it remains a club drug, and there is some debate as to whether it is a legitimate psychiatric drug. Uh, First, let's go and visit your experience. Uh, The uh, passing out is consistent with ketamine being a very effective and safe anesthetic, which is why it was used and is still used in combat or in in pediatric cases where you actually need a safe and rapid anesthetic. Uh, The effect is really fast, which is why you need to have constant transfusion, think that you need to be putting it in your vein uh, continuously for many minutes. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the effect is in and out very quickly. Mm -hmm. The transformation came about, I would say, somewhat accidentally. Ketamine is one of the many drugs that could help us understand psychiatric illnesses such as schizophrenia, bipolar. And so PCP had been used as a model of pharmacological model of schizophrenia, for lack of a better term. Uh, Mm. And ketamine was therefore used in the same context because um, we know very little about the biology of schizophrenia and we definitely need to improve treatment of, for, that, for that illness. So if we can model it better, especially in, in, in animals, uh, then we can hopefully understand how to come up with ways of treating it better. So during these trials with ketamine carried out both in animals and also some human volunteers to see what sort of transient effects it has on humans. Again, because we know ketamine is really safe, so it was given to healthy subjects. During these trials, it was recognized that it had potentially some uh, antidepressants effects. Hmm. So then a very small study was performed, uh, and this was by my colleagues at Yale over 10 years ago, in a very limited number of subjects, uh, individuals who were suffering from depression and were not responding to classical antidepressants. And it had a a, a positive effect. It's a weak effect, but it's a positive effect. So Hmm. that is how the transformation uh, essentially happened. It was very much by design uh, based on laboratory research and observation. So you say it's a pro-psychotic? Pro-psychotic, yes. The term was assigned to it. I'm not suggesting that's a very accurate term, but it's something that is used uh, uh, because it does produce 
thought disorders or dissociation from mm. reality uh, mm -hmm. and hallucinations. And those are all symptoms of psychosis. Uh, so uh, a more technical term for PCP and ketamine would be a dissociative. Those are the classic mm. terms. And they're called dissociative because you essentially dissociate from reality. And that could be physical reality where you may feel like mm. your limbs are flying away from, from you. Or, um, mm -hmm. But those sorts of feelings and, and, and perceptions are consistent with hallucinations and, and thought disorders. Huh. Hence the assignment of the per term pro-psychotic. Also, I should emphasize that patients yes. with schizophrenia who have taken these drugs or who misguidedly um, in the 60s were given PCP, they do profoundly get worse. Uh, so their uh. pre-existing symptoms get worse. If a pro-psychotic is a treatment for depression, then depression might be described as an opposite of psychosis. So it tells me as a scientist, uh, if the same symptoms are getting worse, is that you are actually yeah. targeting the same brain uh, networks ah. and pathways. So mechanistically, it's interesting because it could give us clues as to what networks are misbehaving or not firing right. And, and so it could give us clues mm -hmm. related to that scientifically. In terms of depression being the opposite of psychosis, I am not a clinician, uh, Mm. And I disagree with that to some extent because, mm. you know, depression is really very much influencing mood, motivation, affect. Uh, many individuals mm -hmm. who are suffering from psychosis or, or in psychotic phase of the bipolar disorder obviously have impaired affect and lack of motivation. So to some extent, there are some symptoms that are shared between those two conditions. Uh, but mm -hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they are the opposite. And mm. also, let me emphasize that we don't know exactly how ketamine works, and its antidepressant effects mm -hmm. are very unusual. The hmm. studies that showed positive antidepressant effects uh, were init the initial ones were exclusively on individuals who were not were not responding to Prozac and other classic antidepressants. So mm -hmm. it, you could argue that it's different pathways in the brain that are affected by depression. How does ketamine work on the brain? So uh, ketamine is what is called a dirty drug, meaning that it acts on a large number of targets or proteins in the brain. Uh, mm -hmm. And at various doses, it's targeting on, uh, has almost a different profile on how it's working. Uh, but it primarily works on a receptor in the brain called the NMDA receptor, short for N-methyl-D-aspartate. This receptor is uh, literally all of your brain cells have this receptor. And this receptor is responsible for stimulating exciting cells. So ketamine really is acting throughout your brain, but more selectively on more, you could argue on more active part of your brains because mm -hmm. this particular receptor is activated and ketamine goes in and blocks it. So it blocks mm. the natural neurotransmitter in your brain glutamate on acting on this particular receptor. And you would think that it should calm it down, but in fact, mm. it excites the heck out of some brain regions. Um, huh. Because what it's doing is that it's specifically calming down brain cells that are then inhibiting thousands of cells around them. And, and because you are inhibiting these inhibitory mm. brain cells, yeah. 
then you're having a mass excitation. It's like if you you have one teacher in a classroom of rambunctious preschoolers and then you handcuff or lock down the teacher so that then everybody goes crazy. So you inhibit the person that was keeping the peace or the figure that's keeping the peace, right? Yes, Something yeah, like that. to some okay. extent. And, and so just, just um, focusing on, on depression, it, some have argued that it works sort of like ECT uh, works in depression because that's also to some extent is zapping stimulating yes so ect is doing it electrically whereas ketamine is doing it inside the brain Uh, now with excitation also comes neurotoxicity Uh, hence the concern that if you are repeatedly taking high doses of ketamine that there may be concern about neurotoxicity or neurodegenerative effects on the brain The toxic or degenerative effects on the brain that she's talking about, those mean that even short-term use of ketamine may have consequences like hallucinations, anxiety, depression, and psychosis, and in the long-term, tolerance and dependence. After the break, how does a drug like ketamine become a popular medical treatment? Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to This is Critical. My guest today is Bita Mogadam, an expert on the drug ketamine, which was first used as a surgical anesthetic then became a pro-psychotic club drug and is now being used to treat depression. All right, well, let me ask you a personal question. Have you ever tried Special K or ketamine? No, I have not. I just have one of those personalities that for recreational uh, adventures, I resort to things other than drugs. <laughs> well, that's very wise. I don't know if it's wise or not. It's just, it just the way my physiology works, so... Yes. Well, fortunately, since 2011, I've done the same. One of the problems with trying to get a handle on the effects produced by a drug like ketamine is that the two times I did it, it like blew my circuits so much that I can't describe it to you. It's like the undiscovered country that you don't return from. So you don't get to, you don't have a very good description um, of what happened. My lab studies a large number of drugs in the context of of trying to understand the brain. So, and we try and actually not personalize drug effects, obviously, because different individuals have different experiences with different drugs. But many people have similar experiences than you do. And and it's, I need to underscore that that is a serious effect on your brain, which is what Mm. I'm worried about these repeated infusions of relatively high doses for ketamine. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because long-term, at least animal studies have shown that repeated exposure to ketamine can actually have neurotoxic effects on the brain. And with all these ketamine um, uh, clinics that are... uh, 
appearing everywhere uh, mm-hmm. and they're somewhat uncontrolled. Uh, mm-hmm. I really would like to emphasize the fact that we do not have good data, good safety data on the long-term effects of ketamine exposure, especially on individuals who are suffering from depression or other psychiatric illnesses or symptoms related to, to an illness. Okay, so walk me through how ketamine moved from that early study at Yale to now you see ketamine clinics popping up everywhere. They're sort of chic, like medi-spas that you go to for Botox and teeth whitening and stuff. How did it go from a promising idea as a treatment for depression straight to these very commercial clinics? Well, the process was scientifically sound. The initial trial... It wasn't uh, well-controlled because it was just what's called a proof-of-concept study, which uh, a few individuals were given ketamine. The number of subjects were low, and there was a positive effect. After that, the studies were not followed up upon for a number of reasons, one potentially being funding. It takes a fair amount of money to run clinical trials uh, with any given drug, even a drug that's mm-hmm. uh, approved for study. Uh, but then mm-hmm. a few years later, some of the folks who were part of the initial study at Yale were now at the National Institute of Health, which has a, a better budget. Uh, mm-hmm. So they can, they can do some of these uh, riskier studies faster and more efficiently. So then they started doing more uh, elaborate, well-controlled studies with ketamine, and those studies mm-hmm. started looking good. So in that, in again, treatment-resistant individuals, the, the right. individuals who were suffering from profound, sustained mood disorders and depressive uh, illnesses and were not responding to Prozac-like drugs, they responded to ketamine. Uh, it was not a huge effect, but it an effectiveness effect. Depression is a horrible illness. So this was very welcoming. And at that point, ketamine is being super cheap. Uh, you mm-hmm. can essentially, and, and it's FDA approved because you can use it as an anesthetic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to be a money-making thing for any pharmaceutical companies. So a clever way to make this profitable was Johnson & Johnson patent one form of ketamine, which is S-ketamine. Ketamine is what's called a chiral molecule. It's really two molecules, just like your hand has mirror images. So there's a left-sided and right-sided ketamine. Mm. Identical molecules, except that they're, you know, mirror images of each other. So J&J and and some scientists patented that and around some clinical trials. And there Mm -hmm. was some positive effect, although the last two studies actually with S-ketamine have not been that impressive. And a, a recent one that was one of the biggest ones just came out showing that there was not much of a much of an effect compared to placebo. Mm. So mm. The, the scientifically, it has been kind of gone through peer review and scientific trials, I would say, accurately and correctly. But because it got out there that ketamine works for depression, and because ketamine is available and cheap, um, you know, as, as a veterinarian, as anybody with an MD degree, you can order jugs of ketamine <laughs> for mm. not much money just like you can order a lot of Botox for not much money. And given that they are charging, I think anywhere from $300 to $800 for a single infusion of ketamine, the profit margin is unbelievable, I'm sure. So I do have friends who suffer from chronic depression, although not necessarily treatment-resistant depression, who've gone to these clinics. And 
What seems to make sense to me from what you just said is that ketamine is cheap and available, and it's available off-label because it's already everywhere. So it'd be very hard to make a designer drug out of it and charge a lot for it. You don't have like Sacklers coming in and owning OxyContin. A generic is available for it. Then how do you make it costly to people as a consumer drug, as a like sexy drug? And what it is, is because it takes these long transfusions, you basically set up a place with like comfortable chairs and music, a spa, right. And you make it expensive to go into that place, even though you could get the drug presumably in a like more bare bones clinic and sit there because you because you have to sit there for a period of time, right? And that's the whole thing that makes it different from a pill. And you also need a lot of sessions. So how does this work? So, uh, Not only you have to sit there, hopefully these clinics also observe individuals because many Mm. people have very scary reactions, of course, afterwards. Mm. Yes, it can be done in a medical setting where your physician could administer it to you. And and so, and those are available. My concern is that folks who go to these clinics are the ones where their physicians are potentially saying, are not agreeing. Say, look, Prozac is working fine and Mm -hmm. it's been relatively safe because we've used it for many, many decades. So maybe it's not a good idea for you to be taking uh, ketamine. But also let me emphasize that clinical trials and what was very much touted as this being a magical treatment for depression was that Mm -hmm. they looked at the effect of a single exposure. Hmm. maximum two or three exposures. And an exposure is? One transfusion, yes. So you're sitting with a needle in your arm, getting this stuff in your system, and it takes hours? No, no, it's actually was several minutes, and it was a relatively low dose. So the initial studies that found a significant effect in treatment-resistant patients uh, were Mm -hmm. single exposure. Uh, I don't know the dose offhand, but it was was a low sub-anesthetic dose you know, a few minutes of transfusion, and it had an effect. And then subsequent studies were with two or three exposures or or, or administrations of ketamine. Uh, So this idea that you can go in repeatedly a couple of times a week, there's really no clinical trials that has looked at that. Um, Right. It, it it just it just there just isn't one. <laughs> it's a it's a more of the more of the merrier. It's it's like you know again what they did with oxycontin. Like how about we double and triple the dose and see what happens with that? If it's then you have then you know they describe it. The Sacklers described it as breakthrough pain. So here now we have you have one transfusion of this, which has been proven if safe and if moderately effective. But then why not have breakthrough depression <laughs> that then needs to be treated with another set of the, these things? Well, yeah, and, and, you know, I would say, you know, there are a good number of people who have treatment-resistant depression with profound symptoms that respond beautifully to ketamine after a single or a second dose. So I'm not here to say that this this doesn't work. It does work in some Mm -hmm. people. But I also know that there are no clinical trials or safety records for week after week after week of exposure of, of, mm-hmm. of ketamine. And if, if this drug is not working after a couple of two or three infusions, I'm not sure of any data to tell us that it actually works on your fourth or fifth infusion. So marketing that you mm-hmm. need to come back in two or three times a week so that you can get better is also a concern. 
So you describe, you say that people sometimes do find, like, very good effects on depression. And the reason that a doctor or a medical professional or even just a kind of clinician is standing by is for the same reason that, like, in, you know, the back rooms of clubs, people have trip sitters to, like, hold their hand in case, like, things go wrong, right? So these are kind of trip sitters. <laughs> so first time I have heard that in the context of uh, uh, this, but it's great, yeah. And, you know, yeah. we have the same... We have the same for psilocybin, uh, and I'm not opposed to it. Yes. I think I think I think that. these drugs that work beautifully on some people, uh, they're producing very scary effects in some in in certain individuals, and I think this is a really good idea. It's also a really good idea, I think, for some folks to get psychotherapy. That is something that is at least data is showing that combination of some of these drugs plus psychotherapy is what is working. A couple of things you should know about ketamine. Ketamine is considered a Schedule III non-narcotic substance, but the FDA has approved the nasal spray version of it to be given at a certified doctor's office or clinic to treat certain types of depression. The typical course of treatment is twice a week for one to four weeks, then once a week for five to nine weeks, and then once every week or two after that. Coming up after the break, given what we know about the science of ketamine, is it being overhyped? Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah. The charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Welcome back to This is Critical. My guest today is Bita Mogadam, a professor of behavioral neuroscience and an expert on the drug ketamine, which is gaining popularity as a treatment for depression. What do you think are the most egregious examples of the overhyping of this drug? This is a personal opinion, but it's marketing it as a psychedelic because psychedelics are all of a sudden very cool now. And so it's being marketed as a psychedelic when in fact ketamine is not a psychedelic. It doesn't act uh, the same as psilocybin or LSD. It's an entirely different class of drugs. And I feel that it's being sort of mislabeled as a psychedelic to make the marketing of it uh, more exciting and more cool and more hip. Right. Okay. So the difference is that psychedelics work by directly stimulating brain cells. I have this right to give you that hallucinatory effect. But as we said earlier, ketamine gets that same effect, not by stimulating, but by inhibiting the inhibitors of those stimulators. 
What are some ill effects that you've seen from ketamine, some real demonstrable ill effects that you've seen in patients? Sure. So I haven't seen these in patients, and we don't have yeah. much data from patients who have been getting it in, in recent years. We do have data from uh, several Asian com- uh, countries because ketamine has been a very popular club drug and a drug that a lot of kids, high school kids use because during the, it's so fast acting that during their lunch break, they can go get high and come back. So Mm -hmm. repeated use of ketamine, uh, based on the data that has come out of uh, those countries, can have profoundly awful (laughs) and Mm. irreversible effects on kidney function. There are several kidney-related illnesses that have been associated. So I think if you are repeatedly getting ketamine, and if you are being seen by uh, appropriately uh, uh, an appropriate clinical team, hopefully somebody is uh, monitoring your kidney function. Uh, hmm. So those are peripheral functions. In terms of brain functions, animal studies have shown that repeated exposure to these drugs can have neurotoxic effects in that they could hmm. actually be brain cell death in some regions of the brain. And hmm. their could have psychotic effects could get worse. And that's hmm. something that some people do do report that with repeated exposure to ketamine, they're having more and more bad trips uh, that then they they don't recover from them for hours or days. And that is so both behavioral and potentially brain-related effects. Hopefully, there will be some brain scanning studies that will be uh, performed in individuals who have been getting ketamine for depression repeatedly so that we actually will have data. What is that state? right after people get the transfusion that can be a little dangerous or is certainly unpleasant for the person, which I've heard described by people who've had the transfusions, that initially they can feel quite bad and disoriented and they need a lot of care, and then the depression lifts, but only over, over time. So tell me how, why that works that way, because that's not the case with Zoloft or Prozac. So I really have no idea why. Yeah. Uh, except that ketamine has what we call plasticity effects, some uh, permanent long-term effects that it may have on on neural activity may start kicking in minutes or hours after you were exposed to ketamine. Uh, Mm There's a fair amount of research being done to understand long-term effects of ketamine. It doesn't work like that uh, with with Zoloft or, or Prozac because those drugs are very different. With those drugs, you almost, well, Many individuals don't feel anything, uh, not even an effect on their um, symptoms of depression until, until they have repeatedly taken the drug for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's an entirely different way that they're influencing your brain function. What is going on after you're exposed to ketamine and how your brain is reacting? I also need to underscore that a lot of people have very different responses. There are people who feel very mm-hmm. little afterwards. There are people who have a shift in uh, their depressive symptoms a few hours later, the day after. But again, we really, we really don't have any idea in terms of how the brain is reacting to this long term. What is the bad effect, though? Why do you need that person in the clinic who sits with you afterward? So I think if, if there is a reaction, first of all, if somebody is suicidal, and if there is some reaction that is somewhat psychotic or if the hallucinations are sustained, I think it's wise to be monitoring that person for a while. I do not know with these clinics how long they um, keep folks in there after the infusion. 
So I've learned from books like Patrick Radden Keefe's great um, book, Empire of Pain, about OxyContin, that changing the culture is a huge part of spreading a new drug. And I noticed recently that Vox, on one of its sites, posted guidance on how to navigate ketamine clinics. It's kind of weird in itself. But one piece of advice was, quote, avoid exposure to negative media a week before your treatment. So how important is that cultural component, the kind of softening up of a market in orchestrating a transition from a club drug to a clinical drug? So we can, you know, blame different drugs and pharma and all that. But I think what is what is really interesting is how the brain either can be manipulated or one can use the power of the brain to deal with, with some issues. Uh, and I think hmm. people who are coming up with these messages are quite brilliant because clearly what uh, you're thinking about influences how your brain reacts to context. You know, if you walk into something with a positive attitude, chances that you walk out of there, you know, thinking something worked is much higher. Uh, that's why placebo works. Placebo still mm-hmm. is one of the best ways to treat depression. In recent yeah. ket- trials with esketamine, uh, placebo worked as well. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, recently my primary care physician took on the patients from the doctor of someone who had died, the regular patients. They started coming into the clinic, and it was early. It was, you know, only days after the guy had died, and he had a lot of elderly patients. And the patients came in and said to this new doctor, I hope you'll continue to give me my B12 shot right? Because that's kind of what's keeping me going as an old person, B12 vitamin. And he said, absolutely. And when I saw him alone, I said, why are you going to keep giving them B12? I don't think anyone uses that anymore. And I I thought that was a placebo. And he said, are you kidding? I'm not going to tell an 80-year-old that the shot in their arm that they have believed all this time is giving them life is bullshit, right? I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to take away from them this placebo. This placebo is doing the trick for them. And especially with a needle, you know, like needles, like are, that's a shock to the system that you come to associate that with something good, then you're probably, you want to hold on to that ritual. No, I was once at a scientific meeting um, that during the break, uh, coffee break, everybody rushes out to get coffee. And uh, everybody finds out, oh my God, they're all out of coffee. All that's available is decaffeinated. And one of my colleagues goes and starts filling her coffee up with a decaffeinated. And everybody rushes to her and says, oh, do you know this is decaffeinated? And she said, oh yeah, placebo works though. <laughs> so I guess last question. I mean, we are a culture show as much as I love to talk to you about the science. What do you think the consequences will be of making something like ketamine trendy? The cultural work that has done this is obviously, and is doing this, the kind of memes around ketamine and it's as a miracle drug, is going to end up affecting sort of your work um, in trying to understand as more and more brains are exposed to ketamine. Are there dangers of making this a hot treatment for depression? Yeah, th- that's a great question. Um, I would say that, unfortunately, these drugs become hot and trendy, and the next movement is going to be psilocybin. It already is. Uh, it's, it's, so psilocybin is the naturally occurring drug in, in the mushrooms. LSD yeah, oh, is yeah. a derivative of it. So going back to ketamine and how this became a trendy uh, treatment, 
Sadly, it's because there was a need for it. We have not been able to improve our treatment of psychiatric illnesses and symptoms, in, whether it's depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, uh, since the 50s and 60s. And the incidence of these illnesses are increasing. So if you're not responding to current drugs, you know, you become desperate to try something new. So it is, to some extent, um, a reflection of the sad state of how little we know about the brain. On the other hand, as, as a neuroscientist, I'm happy to tell you that we're making incredible progress. We're understanding so much more about the brain than we did just four or five years ago. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that as we understand the kind of the biology of these illnesses better, that we will have more thoughtful, mechanistically driven treatments as opposed to the, these old 50s and 60s drugs that have to kind of be revived and marketed as miracle cures. That's it for this week's show. Next week, I'll be talking to my friend Echo Yanka about his work with The Innocence Project. Make sure you don't miss it by following us or subscribing on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I love the reviews coming in. If you also like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps other people learn about the show. For more information and to keep tabs on us, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at this critical pod. If you have a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. Harry Huggins is the producer. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Brendan Burns mixed this episode and composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thank you for listening and stay critical. Stitcher. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface.